1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. And Samuel said, 237 if you're using a Red Pew Bible. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or sorcery, witchcraft. And presumption or stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's been our focus last few weeks on idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. Sorry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. We've said so far in this series on idolatry that one principle we've learned is you become what you worship. Two, you have to fight idolatry all the time. And tonight, you must guard your heart against idolatry. All throughout the Bible, and this passage included, there are side-by-side stories, meaning there are two stories told, one chapter and the other, and the idea is that you're supposed to compare and contrast them. In Genesis, you have the story in Genesis 30, um, 8 and 39, you have Judah, his immoral, with a woman he thinks is a prostitute on the side of the road. Then you have the next chapter, Joseph being um, tempted by Potiphar's wife, but he doesn't give in. So you have two of them side by side. You have Abraham and Lot and how they view all the plains and how they view the land. You have Second Kings. You have Naaman, who has leprosy, but gets his life right. Gehazi, who's supposed to have his life right, but ends up getting leprosy. You have Joshua in chapter 6 and 7, Rahab, who's an outsider, who becomes an insider, and Achan, who's an insider, who becomes an outsider. You have Nicodemus, religiously lost, woman at the well, uh, socially in every other way lost. Simon the Pharisee, who's supposed to be righteous, against a woman who of bad reputation washes Jesus' feet with her hair, but yet Jesus says, this is the one who's right and godly. You got Peter and Judas, you got Barat, I'm sorry, you have Barnabas, who's very generous, and Ananias and Sapphira, who keep money aside for themselves to pretend that they're generous with their money. All those are side-by-side stories, and many more in the Bible, actually. Um, 1 Samuel 15 and 16 are two chapters comparing the first two kings. You have our chapter comparing Saul and 16 with David. And now you'll find, and I'll abbreviate a little bit here tonight, the difference is between them is... Not just the outward things. I mean, Saul's head and shoulder bigger than everybody else. He's supposed to be a great warrior. And then David is a little bit smaller. And we know that from the David and Goliath story. And one is older, one is younger. I mean, so there are differences externally. But the biggest difference is, is the heart. Saul and David have different hearts. In fact, David is called a man after God's own heart. And the reason he's called that is always in comparison to Saul. The, the time that he's... That, that phrase is actually used as 1 Samuel 13, 22, when God says, you don't have the kingdom anymore. I'm going to give it to somebody else who has a different heart, obviously David. And so, in fact, David is chosen to be king way before he actually becomes king. And the reason that all of his other brothers were passed by and he's the last one, it says, I have not chosen any of them. And God says to Saul, Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance because God doesn't look there. God looks where? On the heart. So here's the difference between the two of them. And I want to make a big deal out of that tonight because I think it's the key to idolatry. The difference between Saul and David is that they have different hearts. One heart is marked by disobedience and the other one by obedience. Neither one are perfect. 
In fact, when it says David is a man after God's own heart, you may say, well, he committed adultery and had someone murdered. How can that possibly be? Because it is a patterned likeness, not a perfect likeness. But David's life in its totality, in fact, every other king in Israel is compared to him, that he had a heart that was obedient. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Saul's pattern of life was not such. Not because he didn't have bright moments, but those aren't what characterized him in totality. In this text, and I want to point them out to you, if you have a pen, write them down. It's a key to understanding the overall context, is the word voice. You can't see it in the original English, but it's in there in the Hebrew. It's the same word all throughout this chapter. In chapter 1, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you a king over his people. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. In other words, it really says, listen to the voice of the Lord. Right? So you keep that in mind because you'll see why in a minute. Verse 14 says, And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the voice, literally, of the oxen that I hear? Okay? That's the, I'm going to tell you why it's important. Stay with me. Chapter 15 and verse 19 says, Why then did you not obey, see it, the voice of the Lord? Verse 20, again it says, and Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 22, we just read it. Has the Lord delight, great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. He cha- finally gets it. I have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people, listen, and obeyed their voice. So there's a, there's a lot of voices going on in this chapter. And the overall thrust is this, that, and I'm going to give you the principle, and we're going to build on it. Every time we choose, I mean, I should say, obedience and disobedience is always a choice of whose voice we will listen to. Okay, let me say it again. Obedience and dis- disobedience, the choice between the two, is always a choice about whose voice we will listen to. It's very obvious in the passage that God's voice had commanded him to do something very specific. In the text, without reading the whole chapter, God gave him a mission. The mission was to wipe out the Amalekites. It, in the text, is described with the phrase, devoted to destruction. In the Hebrew, it is one word. It means ban, and it means that it's all dedicated to God. Think of Jericho. No one in Jericho was spared. Not one person. Not one animal. And you weren't allowed to take anything and keep it for yourself, i.e., trust for problem for Achan because he stole. It was all korban. It, it was banned. It was not for anyone but God, right? Because that was a judgment. Jericho was being judged. The Canaanites, after 400 years, were being judged. The Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17 and Deuteronomy 25 were a despicable, violent people. And what they did to Israel when they were coming out of Egypt and going to the promised land is they had this long, gigantic train of people. Can you imagine probably somewhere between two and three million people how long the line was? I mean, you have to realize that it took them to get to the Red Sea wasn't that wide. But when you get a line of two to three million people, it took them all night to get across, right? Same thing, to set up tents and put everything together. I mean, it was a huge... So it was a long journey. You'd walk 15 to 20 miles a day. And so everybody who was elderly, infirmed or sick, or fem- females, all walked in the back because it wasn't as easy for them to keep up because the, the females had children. But so all the people in the back were the elderly, the sick, 
women with their children. They all walked in the back so that they wouldn't have to work as hard, right? So the Amalekites come up from the rear. They didn't fight the men in the front. They went and attacked all the people in the back. And God says, because of the way you treated my people, all this time has passed. I'm now going to wipe you out for that. That was his job. And it was a ban. He was not to spare anyone, take anything, because it was all being dedicated to God. It was very clear that was God's voice. Okay? There's another voice in the chapter, right? And that is the voice we saw in verse 24. He finally says, hey, I spared Agag and the best of all the animals. And the reason I did it is because I feared the people and their voice. You see, that's one of the biggest problems we have with idolatry. Because we elevate what people think and what people say above what God thinks and what he says. And every time we listen to other voices besides God's voice, we disobey, and that disobedience is idolatry. So I wrote this on here. Every single choice of disobedience is an act of idolatry. Because in disobeying, we have listened to a voice outside of God's and have said that what they say trumps what God says. That's why God says that when you rebel... It is as iniquity and idolatry, right? That's happened with Adam and Eve. We mentioned that tonight. Adam and Eve listened to Satan over God. It was sin, disobedience, and idolatry. The 12 spies that went into Canaan, 10 came back in a negative report. Only Joshua and Caleb had the positive report. And Israel chose to listen to the majority and all the people who were fear mongers, and they chose not to believe God who said he could take care of all of their enemies and problems and they could win easily, but they chose to listen to the 10 and not God and the two, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and most of them, if not all of them, died there. Aaron came down, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, Aaron was at the bottom, and, and Moses comes back and sees the golden calf and people being sexually immoral. And here, if, if you read the story, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be comical, because he says, Aaron, what happened? What did the people do that you would make such a thing and do this? And he said, hey, they all brought to me their gold earrings and stuff, and I put it together in this pot, and the golden calf came out. Like, he didn't have any part in it. It just happened by accident. I mean, it's almost comical that he could come up with that, Right? But the reality was, what? Aaron listened to the people. Can I tell you this? For our own lives and for our children, we need to be careful who our children hear and their voices, who they're listening to, because all of them are competitors with the voice of God. Sports heroes, Hollywood celebrities. Unfortunately, America has given them voices. And they can say things and people actually think it matters or gives weight to it just because they've achieved things in sports or made a movie. Somehow that makes them an expert. I don't know how people think that, but it's true. Unsaved people, young people your own age. I'm amazed at how some young people who are 15 think that people also 15 are wise. We have listened to politicians, people on Twitter, television, internet, books. And then there's always the professionals that we quote as they. Well, you know what they say? And no, I don't. I don't know who they are. But we quote them. People on social media. Sec I would say secular and even some Christian music. Friends. 
people in the majority. Can I tell you this? We all need to, especially for our children. We need to be careful because God's voice is not the only one speaking out there. They're all alternatives. And our children are likely, if we're not careful, and us included, to listen to them. I think sometimes Oprah is quoted more than the prophets. And Dr. Phil seems wiser than, than all the wisdom of Proverbs and Solomon. Kind of crazy, but it's a reality. Now look what the Bible says. Verse 22, has the Lord as, see this, as great delight. These are degrees of delight. In other words, it's not that God doesn't delight in the sacrificial system and bringing things to the temple and offering up sacrifices. He does. He made the system up. Right? He made it up. But you know what he delights in more? Look what it says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice? When God says something and you do it in obedience from your heart, that is a greater delight than him than if you just come to church and go through the motions and carry out worship. So let me tell you this. In in the truest sense, God isn't that impressed because we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and sit in the pew and hear a sermon. It's good, but you know what he's really impressed with? Is that when we hear what he says... That we do it in our hearts. That's what he is really delights in. What he, what he really is moved by. And Saul had a life where he knew what God said, but he constantly did his own thing instead. In fact, the Bible says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. In other words, if you had a choice between external worship and internal obedience, always choose the internal obedience because it's better. It's better. And to listen to God than the fat of rams, which is the kind of sacrifices that you're giving. Why? Here's why. Ready? Because it starts with a little word for. Here's the reason. Because when you rebel against God, even, listen, here's the scariest part to me. While you're doing all the external worship and you're bringing all the sacrifices and externally you're looking like you're doing all the right things, God says on the inside you can be rebellious. For rebellion is as the sin of, listen to this, divination. What does he mean? Saul made a big, huge deal out of wiping out every medium, every witch, everybody who was a sorcery person in all of Israel. It was forbidden. It was a capital punishment. In fact, strange thing, Saul dies. Right before he dies, he goes to the witch at Endor to ask what he should do because God has stopped talking to him. Here's a guy who made the rule, you can't do this, and here's the guy who ends up doing it and having his own life taken. Strange, ironic, isn't it? That's how extreme it can be when you stop listening to the voice of God. How is rebellion like divination? Well, divination is when you go to ask what you should do in a given circumstance, but you don't ask God, you ask somebody else. That's what it's like. So here's the, here's the modern analogy, ready? Is that when you're in life and you're confronted with an important decision or a direction in life, and instead of turning to the Bible, instead of asking God, you listen to other voices. So the question we have to ask is, where do you turn for wisdom? The latest show on television, what the psychologist says, the friends that you know will tell you what you want to hear, the friends who are in the same corner that you are, do you listen to your own voice first? What do you do for you and your family? Here's what you do. You listen to God's voice. Not because he can't use and speak through some of those 
it's those people in your life because he often does. But we go to him first because obedience and disobedience is a choice of whose voice you will listen to. So who tells you who you are? Who tells you if you should do this or that? How do you know what priorities you should have? What your values should be? What matters most to you? Where do you get your cues? Saul got them from everyone else but God. Right? He feared the people and listened to them. And eventually he listens to a witch because it never stays static. It's always dynamic. And ultimately, because he did not listen to the voice of God on multiple occasions, it cost him his life, which he ends up killing himself or having his assistant kill him. And it cost him his son's lives. It cost him almost his entire family. The question is, how long will you continue not to listen to the voice of God? What will it end up costing you? So how did it happen? Let me just spend the last few minutes on that. Instead of having all of the Amalekites killed, including Agag and all the animals slaughtered, here's what the Bible says. You can read it for yourself in verse 12. You know what he does? The first thing he does is that he, after the battle and they defeat us, he spares Agag and he does it for his own personal political reasons because Verse 12 says, as soon as the battle is won, you know what he does? He goes in the plain and he erects a monument to himself. I don't know what the monument was. It probably wasn't a statue of himself, but that would have been the case. It would have been just right because that's what he's after. He builds this monument for himself, how great Saul is. And he, there's always a victory celebration, including a sacrifice, which the prophet has to be there for. Right? So he's going to tell everybody, look how great I am. I've won this battle. He's going to build a little political following more, even more. People are going to like him better. He's building this. See, I killed Agag. Here's their great king. He ain't so great, is he? Because look what I did. And he also does this. He gets rid of all of the animals that were worthless, it says. This is what God says to Samuel, so Samuel can go there with all the information. He said, hey, he killed all the worthless animals that had defects, but all the really good ones he spared, and the word is the best. And you know why? Because in Levitical system, when you offer the sacrifice, guess what you get? You get some of the meat. So you know why the people talked him into it and he listened? Because, hey, after this long victory, we're having steak tonight. That's right. They were going to get a lot of the meat and a lot of the spoils. from. He kept the best, listen, for himself. For himself. The Bible says, if you look in verse 12... Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, listen to that, behold, in other words, get this, don't miss, this is the turning point. He set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on, and went down to Gilgal. Samuel said to Saul, and Saul said to him, listen to this, this is us, (laughs) it really is, blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, I have done it. I put in my notes, disobedience results is the result of a self-centered heart. That's the difference between him and David. See, when he wins the battle, he makes a monument to himself. When he wins the battle, it's supposed to be dedicated to God, but he dedicates it to himself. He keeps the best. He spares the king because he has his own agenda. I know God says this, his voice is, but I'm doing my thing. The Bible says that Saul wasn't satisfied with the honor God had given him. He wanted to make his own honor. He wasn't really intending to make God's name great through it all. He wanted to make his own name great. In my notes, I'm going to read it to you. It's possible 
to deceive yourself into thinking that your service and your ministry is for God when in reality it's really all about you. You know how I know that? Because it, it, it's demonstrated and expressed in what upsets you. If you're not upset for the bad things that happen in other people, only for what happens that affects you. And you're not really, and it's easy to say, oh, I have done the commandment of God. And there was nothing farther from the truth. At best, he had partial obedience. At best. And even that was not for the right motives. But in his heart, he tried to fake it and say that he had done what God said that he wanted him to do. The real story, look at verse 9. Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatted calves, the lambs, all that was good and would not utterly destroy it. All that was despised and worthless, that they gave to the Lord. Selfish heart. God, you get my leftovers of things that nobody really wants. It's all you. God is great. My leftover time, my leftover energy, my leftover money, my leftover life. You can have all the things, but to give you the best? No. You know why? Because disobedience is a result of a self-centered heart. It's possible to come to church, serve at church, and look God-centered, and all the while being self-centered. Because your service is really about your needs, your agenda, the things that you want, instead of what God wants. And when that happens, it becomes idolatry. Because you seek what's best for your name above what's best for God's name. Number two, disobedience is the result of a fearful heart. He said, verse 24, when he finally owned up to it, I have sinned against God. By the way, he never repented. He only wanted to look good in front of the people. I'll show you that in a minute. I feared the people. Samuel told them when Saul became king, here's what he says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he's done for you. Only fear him. He was warned, but he didn't. You know what he did? He feared people. Saul's idolatry showed itself when he chose to fear man over God. He wanted to listen to the voice of people over the voice of God. And we allow ourselves at times to do just that. We're worried about what people will think, what people will say, and if they're popular, how they look at this. And we're more concerned in our teenagers. I I can't do that because everybody wears this. And I can't, I, I need to, you know what? We let our children and we teach ourselves that what people think and their opinion, we fear that more than God. Saul feared the human consequences of obedience more than the divine consequences of disobedience. And then, listen to this, as soon as he actually admits he's wrong, he says, part of my sin, verse 25, return with me that I may bow before the Lord. He isn't going to say, forgive me so I can go worship. Like I told you, every victory had a ceremony and, a, and to give, give you God the glory and everybody came and the king and the prophet came together and they had this sacrifice and they said, thank you, God. Because you're the greatest thing. He says, I got to still go through with that. You got to come with me because if you don't show up, it's going to make me look bad. You don't think that's the truth? Go down a few more verses. He's leaving and says, I'm not going with you because God's rejected you. As Samuel's leaving, Saul reaches out. I don't know if he fell on his knees, but he, he reaches out and grabs him by the bottom of his tunic. At the bottom of every man's tunic, especially a prophet, were tassels. And those tassels were signs of authority and dedication from God. And Saul reaches out and grabs him to try to get him to stay. And he rips it off. And Samuel turns around and says, that's okay, that's good, because God has ripped the kingdom from your hands and given it to somebody else. 
And then he, then he says, Samuel says, well, okay, I will go with you. You know why? Because all you have left is an appearance. There's nothing inside you anymore for God. So I will go because I don't want the kingdom to go smashing down right away or anything, but you're, it's going to happen, but not today. So he ends up going with them and bowing down and goes through the ceremony, but there's no reality to it. You know why? Because his heart was filled with fear. The external had trumped the internal And Saul says in 30, verse 30, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders, before the people, before Israel. It's all about what he looked like. He just wanted to appear good, but he really wasn't good. Which brings me to my last point, and I'll close. Disobedience is the result of a divided heart. He didn't have a whole heart for God because he had things he wanted. Interestingly, the Bible says in 1519 that Samuel asked him, why did you so quickly pounce on the spoil? It's the same word used in 1 Samuel 14, 32. Why did you rush on it? In other words, as soon as the battle was over, you know what he made a beeline for? All the things that he could get out of it. The animals, Agag for his own promotion. He got all, that was what he's really after. The whole battle was not about punishing the Amalekites because God was serving out justice. That was not his agenda. His agenda was, what do I get out of it? And here's what a divided heart does. It elevates your own pleasure above what God finds pleasure in because God's pleasure was, I delight. The greatest delight I have is that your heart is obedient to me, not in all the external rituals and motions and routines that you go through. And God says, do you understand that when you elevate your pleasure above mine, your worth above mine, it is a great insult to me, he says. And what the kingship meant to Saul was position, power, and pleasure, not obeying God. So can I say this? God delights in our obedience. And I asked myself this week, why? Why does God so much delight about what's going on in the inside first before it becomes the outside? Why? Because when we delight in God supremely above everything else, you know what it means? It shows that he is the one that we're really pursuing. Well, he's the one we're really after. Not people's applause and kudos. Not saying, oh, how great you were, Pastor Walker. That was awesome, sir. That's not what we're after. It says, when we delight in God and obey him, even when the people have a different voice, even when it doesn't give me any pleasure, even when it doesn't serve my agenda and I don't get anything out of it, God says, see, the only possible reason you would ever obey when that happens is me. Because I'm so great. And that's the kind of life David lived. David lived the life that made much of God, not of himself. That's the difference between these two. Anything other than that Anything less than that, God says, is idolatry because you've elevated it equal to or more than me. Let's pray. Father, perhaps all of us tonight have remaining agags in our life. Maybe tonight in the back of our mind, spiritually, we hear the sheep bleeding the sheep making their noises because we've spared them and the agags stand beside us and the animals stand beside us. And tonight we think perhaps and we've convinced ourselves that we are the God-centered people that we appear to be. 
But maybe tonight, at least for some of us, Lord, maybe we should look a little deeper and look at our hearts and lives and say, whose voice am I really listening to? Who really is the one that is the motivation and the center of all I'm doing? Father, I pray that you'd give the people, including me at Faith Baptist Church, a greater heart that only loves and serves and fears and worships and finds our pleasure and satisfaction in you supremely, above all else, because that's the only thing that is worthy of who you are. Help us to that end, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You are dismissed.